Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Prophet Isaiah declares that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this will come as a shock to none of you, but I am a big fan of superhero movies, books, and television shows. And one of my favorite uh, concepts in these shows or movies or books is the concept of the secret identity, that Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker, that Clark Kent is the same person as Superman. And identity is really a very important thing. It's important both in superhero shows, but also in our own lives. And so as Christians, it's crucial that we understand our identity, that we understand who God calls us, who God says we are, and how we are to live out that identity. And so one of the first things Peter tells us here about our identity is that we are those who have tasted God's goodness. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We have seen just how good God is and how he has loved us and saved us. We have experienced his undeserved grace in our lives. Verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. At one point, we were far from God. We were not his people, and we had not received his mercy. But because of God's great love, because of Christ, we have become God's people 
and received his mercy. And since we have tasted God's goodness, then we need to crave the word of God instead of junk food. Now here's what I mean by this. We all know that eating 10 Chick-fil-A cookies a day is not a good idea. They're incredibly tasty, but they're just not, not good for our bodies. Junk food may feel satisfying, but it's not particularly good for us. And in light of us being born again to new life in Jesus, Peter tells us to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These things are like junk food to the body of Christ, to God's community of Christians. They snap our focus away from Jesus, and they bring harm to others. But instead, Peter tells us to long for the word of God. And that's what he means when he says long for the pure spiritual milk. The word of God is what Peter has been talking about in the verses leading up to chapter 2. He shares that we're born again through the living and abiding word of God, that the word of God does not perish but remains forever, and that the word of God is the good news of the gospel. And so Peter tells us to crave God's word like a newborn baby craves milk. Now, if you've had kids, you know that newborn babies crave milk very often, so much that we lose sleep over it. And so in the same way, Peter is telling us to long for what will nourish us spiritually and to long for it continually. To spend time reading and learning God's word alone and in community with others. To seek God in all that we do, seeking to put his word into practice in our lives. To pray with and encourage others through the word of God. And the more we do these things, the more we will crave them. It's when we intentionally take time to seek God that our love and longing for him grows. Next thing that we are, we are God's temple. Jesus is our foundation and God's presence dwells in us. And like sacrifices were offered in the physical temple, we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Not not the sacrifice of, of dead animals, but of ourselves, of our lives, being devoted to God in worship, in having him be the one who leads how we live our lives. Now, as we move to verse nine, Peter makes a very monumental statement. He says that rather than those who have rejected Jesus, we are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now this is the same identity that God gave to Israel in Exodus 19 when he called them and freed them from slavery in Egypt. God extends this identity now to all who trust in Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile. It's not a matter of belonging to a particular country or a particular club. It's a matter of belonging to Jesus. And so Israel's blessings become ours 
as we belong to God's kingdom by God's grace. So let's unpack that. We are God's chosen people. Verse 9 says we are a chosen race, but Peter is talking not about a literal race. Here the word is talking about a people group, people from every nation and every ethnicity who trust in Jesus. Now we're all from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different ethnicities. We have different pasts, different presents, different personalities. But we're all one body of believers with Jesus at the center, one united people in Christ. And we are also God's royal priesthood. If you wanted to talk to the President of the United States, you can't just go knocking on the door of the White House, right? No, because once you step on the lawn, you will get arrested. Few people have direct access to the leader of their nation. But we can approach God. We have direct access to him. We can knock on his door. We can enter his throne room. We can pick up the red phone and talk to him. We can approach the God who made heaven and earth and all eight billion people on this world and know that he is listening. We can have an audience with the king because we are his royal priesthood. He will always hear. Now, priests also represented God to the people. And if you're a parent, you may sometimes remind your child, when you're at a friend's house, you are a representative of our family. What you do, how you behave, shows what our family is like. And you hope to God that people don't think you're an awful parent because your kids have just misbehaved left and right. As Christians, we reflect Jesus to all those around us. From the person ringing up our groceries, to the insurance agent telling us our claim was denied, to our kids, friends, coworkers, and to the people that we'd rather avoid. What people see in us is either a good or a bad reflection of Jesus. We are also God's holy nation. And again, this is a spiritual concept that Peter's talking about, a spiritual nation. What was once limited to Israel is now open to all who trust in Jesus. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of God's kingdom, set apart for him to live according to his ways. Old Testament scholar Carmen Ein writes, we belong to God and to each other. We'll never, fully, we'll never fully experience all the blessings God has in store for us if we try to go solo. And then we are a people for God's own possession. Now the word here used has the idea of being a treasured possession. It's not that God treats us like a stamp collection or like a sports car. It's the idea that we are cherished by God, that we are valuable to him. Remember that when you're feeling at your lowest or when people 
are making you feel worthless. Remember that when you have royally messed up and are in dire need of God's grace. That we are beloved by God. That we belong to God. The maker of the universe who oversees the existence of countless stars, planets, nebulae, and galaxies loves us and calls us his own. And he has shown us that most vividly through the cross. Carmen Imes writes, You are who you are because of who he is and who he says you are. You become your truest self as a part of this extraordinary community of men and women who are being transformed from the inside out. Who we are becoming and living as God's people. Now we live out this identity by proclaiming God's excellence. Our identity leads to action. Verse 9 tells us that yes, we are of chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all these things so that we can tell others about God's grace in Christ. How we have been rescued, how we have been loved, how he has moved us from darkness to light, from sinner to, uh, from sinner to saint, from outcast to child. God has had mercy on us and loved us even in our worst moments. We proclaim what God has done so that others will know Jesus and be transformed by him too. How is your life different because of Jesus? Share that with people. The world is watching. We live in challenging times where people are searching for hope and for meaning in their lives. And we know that Jesus is where true meaning is found. We know that it's only through him that we can be who we were created to be. And so how we as Christians live matters just as much as what we say. The world, unfortunately, does not always see a good example of what it means to follow Jesus. And so I want to share this because it shows a little bit of what we are up against and what we um, deal with as we share Jesus sometimes. Emily and I recently watched two documentaries about uh, two large Christian groups, notice the air quotes, uh, that covered up abuse, that twisted the Bible's teaching uh, and used it to heap shame upon people instead of the beauty of God's grace and transformation. And that really broke my heart. And I thought to myself watching these documentaries, no wonder so many people don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because so many awful things have been done by those who claim his name. God was portrayed more as a bully than a father. And so many of our younger generations have seen this constantly in the media. 
So many in our younger generations have been wounded by these things. They've watched as people who claim the name of Christ do all the things Peter tells us to put away. And for many, that is the only representation of Jesus that they have seen. It's the only representation of Jesus that they've known. And that's heartbreaking because we know that's not Jesus. It's a cheap, cheap copy. A knockoff brand of who he actually is. They need you and I to show them through our words and our lives who Jesus is. What it means to follow him. Not out of our own perfection, but out of our brokenness. Our desperate need for him. We need to love and show who Jesus is. And so, let us proclaim then Jesus well. And that's as simple as being a good friend. Praying for a friend that doesn't know Jesus. Sharing your story of why you've trusted in Jesus and why it matters to you. Serving someone. Not living as if someone is too dirty to be around you. And ultimately, relying on the Holy Spirit. Because we don't save people. We don't transform hearts. God does. I've shared this story probably before, but it's a, it's a very good story. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, she was an atheist professor, and she had written a very scathing editorial uh, about Christianity. And after publishing that article, uh, she was actually befriended by a Christian couple who had read the article, and they invited her into their home. And they embraced her. They welcomed her. They loved her. And they didn't even really invite her to church. Not, not at first. In fact, they, they just shared food and conversation time and time again. And none of her questions were off limits. Their discussions were open and honest. And it was a long time before she came to faith. But she did. And she came to faith not because someone wrote her a nasty letter, not because she saw a billboard, but because she saw Jesus in that couple. She was moved by the love of God through them. And that's not a -a once-in-a-lifetime story. This happens all the time. We can help people know Jesus too. Because this passage reminds us that being a Christian means sharing Jesus. And so the only question that we have to ask ourselves is, will we? Will we embrace and live out our identity? We belong to God. We find our identity wrapped up not in the things of this world, but in the fact we belong to him. We are God's united community, called to seek him and represent him to those around us. We are God's beloved set apart to share the story of God's goodness with all those around us. Will you and I live that?